Everybody, welcome back to Real Ripe and Real Rotten. This is a podcast where we look at the highs and the lows of your favorite Hollywood celebrities. We take a look at Rotten Tomatoes, we find the highest and the lowest rated film in someone's filmography, and then we talk about them. Now we're continuing our coverage of Catherine Bigelow. My name is Wes Teasdale. I'm joined by Clay McCormick. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to doing this movie. Um, this is one of my favorites. And uh, we also have with us our friend Amanda, who when when it turned out, when I said we were doing Near Dark, it was a vampire movie, and then I said in October we're going to be doing horror movies, she absolutely demanded to be part of it, and this is no way me forcing her to do this <laughs> as a backdoor pilot for another horror movie podcast. So uh, welcome everyone, Amanda. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I completely bullied my way into this. Um, I've been living under Clay's bed for about three weeks, mm-hmm. waiting for my opportunity to sneak out. Yeah, uh, her husband Greg is an avid listener of the show, and <laughs> I feel like she's doing this because he spends so much time talking about <laughs> this that it's just the only way they can have a conversation now. Yeah. <laughs> just living vicariously through us in a in a, oh, yeah. uh, yes. a mildly successful podcast as a side, a side podcast. <laughs> so if you want to give him anything you want him to do at home, you're welcome to just jump in and leave a laundry list or something. <laughs> I'll, I'll think of it over the course of, of the, the recording. Excellent. So, Amanda, it's nice to have you here. Um, let me know if I need to mansplain what a movie is to you before we get started. <laughs> Um, oh god i would just love that so much <laughs> but it's good to have a female perspective because people always yell at me at twitter that i don't have a female sp- uh, <laughs> wait wait go- people yell at you on twitter when, whenever you say something that people disagree with they their their instinct will always be to tell you why you don't understand what they understand about something and so woman is usually the the right thing and not to say that i'm sure you're going to bring a uh a valuable perspective to this but i just i wonder about what a woman's perspective about vampires is that i'm not getting so i'm interested to hear what you think about no i'm, I'm very ready to be your token female <laughs> so no i'm kidding no I, I i mean i love this movie so i'm i'm really excited to talk about it all right let's talk about near dark it's a 1987 american neo-western horror film directed by Catherine bigelow written by her and eric red the story follows a young man in a small midwestern town who becomes involved with a family of nomadic american vampires Adrian Pastar, Jenny Wright, and it's got a few other actors that we might have heard of if you haven't heard of those guys. It's currently at 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics' consensus is Near Dark is at once a creepy vampire film, a thrilling Western, and a poignant family tale with humor and scares in abundance. And I think, Clay, you picked this one. So before we go to a trailer, why don't you tell us why you picked this movie for Catherine Bigelow? Well, uh, I've always been a fan of this movie. Uh, I think it's really unique as far as vampire movies go. Um, I actually was thinking about it last night because I hadn't really thought about where this place is as far as the vampire movie tradition goes. And I was, and it occurred to me that this is really the first truly American vampire movie because it works on its own mythology. There's no reference to Dracula or anything gothic or anything like that. And it came out the same year as The Lost Boys, which is, I would say, number two American vampire movie. Uh, but that is still steeped in previous iterations of vampires. They make a lot of references to Dracula and comic books and stuff. It's very tongue in cheek. This one is kind of, it's a, it takes 
takes place in a very unique setting for vampire movies, which is the American Midwest and West. It very much has a Western feel to it. The uh, vampires in question are, for the most part, I mean, they don't really get into their backstories, but I mean, one of them is a Confederate soldier, apparently. At least, uh, yeah. That's that's one part least, of his yeah. personality, yeah. yeah. And um, so it's it's very much rooted in America and Americana, and I think it's... I don't think it gets talked about enough. I mean, just trying to watch this movie was apparently very difficult because it's not streaming anywhere and the DVD has been out of print for 10 years. Yeah. So it doesn't get talked about much. Um, It was Catherine Bigelow's first movie. She did another movie where she co-directed it with somebody else. But I mean, for a first director job, this is pretty astounding, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She's... um. Well, let's let's play the trailer, I guess, and then we'll get into this. So I'm going to take a break. You guys are going to hear the trailer, and we'll be back, and then we're going to break down near dark. Ready. I'm going to separate your head from your shoulders. Do it, back. All right. The time's wrong. No. You might as well just kill me then, too. Caleb Colton no longer belongs to our world. We give him a week to see if we can call him one of us. He belongs to hers. But you have to learn to kill. He belongs to theirs. I don't want to kill. He makes you kill tonight. And they all belong to the night. It's three hours short for a bus to get home. You help me out? What are you on? Believe me, I told you. Don't think of it as killing. Amen. Amen. Don't think at all. It's just something that you do night after night. It's only ever a question of how. Nervous. I would be too if I were you. Near dark. Could be your boys fall in with control. Check out time. Some time, son. Like damn, this is my family. Let it go. Near dark. Pray for daylight. The night has its price. So, Amanda, I am glad you're here because I was wondering. As I was watching this, uh, and as Clay said, because I there's no accessibility to get to the DVD or Blu-ray, he had to send me a ripped copy of this, which is maybe, shut up, which is, shut which is maybe the not FBI the best. Shut up. Maybe not the best way to watch a movie. However, I was um, I finished this, and I was like, I don't know what I want to say about this movie. Really, not to say that I didn't mm. like it, but I, I wouldn't say that I was like enthralled. By it as I was watching mm-hmm. it, I liked it a bit more when it was over and I thought about it, but it left me wondering as the B-roll for Catherine Bigelow here. I'm not sure I really like Catherine Bigelow as an a director in terms of entertainment. I, I think she's a very I think she's a good director, but I don't think she makes movies that I'm particularly interested in, or she doesn't um she doesn't track stories the way that I kind of like out of out of movies or her. Her films have all been a little bit, I would say, like nebulous in what they're mm. about or what they're doing. And I thought that this was another example of that. But 
Why don't you uh, start off by telling us what you like about this movie and why you enjoy it and all that stuff, and we'll take it from there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was a giant goth nerd my entire life. I still am, pretty much. Um, so I felt I feel like this movie is sort of the big brother to The Lost Boys. Like, The Lost Boys strikes me as a very teen-focused and, and teen-oriented movie. Like, that's the market it's kind of going for. That's the story it's trying to tell. And I think near dark is more adult um but i've i've always really been i've been been intrigued by the characters in it like especially the vampires because you don't get their background but you do get a very profound sense of who they are um they're very fully fleshed out each of them is very unique and different and they work well together as characters and they feel very cohesive but a lot is is left up to your imagination and i just i think that's a very interesting dichotomy of having such specific characters with such little specific information about them yeah they they do um they do a really good job at giving you character through action and even costume design whereas in the lost boys lost boys is everybody kind of looks the same they mm-hmm. all kind of have that 80s hairdo and they're all just sort of like vampires run through a 1980s filter uh, this movie is a lot grittier. Um, it's you know I know what you're saying, Wes. I, I, I. This movie doesn't really have what you would call a plot so much. Mm. It's just sort of like a character study, and you're spending time with these characters, and it's got some really cool scene. I think it honestly, as much as I love it, I think the end of it kind of falls apart. Yeah, uh, because they have to wrap it up, and they just start doing some weird shit that doesn't make a ton of sense, and. I've never liked the transfusion bit. No. I think it's super silly. Um but like you the they they have an advantage because the char- the actors that they're using are Bill Paxton, Lance Henriksen and Jeanette Goldstein who had just come off of Aliens where they were all part of the Colonial Marines. Yep. So those those three knew each other super well and you had that camaraderie already built in that they could play off of, you know, on top of that. And I think it's I think it does a great job of of uh of just having those characters just kind of live more so than a lot of these uh vampire ensemble movies do where it's always like oh there's there's one guy who you don't really see do anything. Yeah. Everybody gets something to do in this movie. Um I think the bar scene is like an all-time scene it's oh, like man. if it's so good anytime they show a clip from bill paxton it should be that scene <laughs> that's interesting that's the best I, thing he's ever done i i have a fundamental problem with that scene which i think really? i attribute to okay. the um to bigelow's directorial experience at that point so mm-hmm. but I, before i get to that i just want to say like i'll read the critical consensus again and I'll, I'll explain like i was reading reviews and i think that my take on this is kind of the the funny thing that's summed up by this consensus Near Dark is at once a creepy vampire film, a thrilling Western, and a poignant family tale with humor and scares in abundance. Without saying that it's a bad movie, I disagree with every section of that <laughs> statement. Like, it's, it's not creepy. It's not a thrilling Western. I don't Like, it mm-hmm. is a Western, but it's not thrilling, right. I wouldn't say. Yeah. It's not poignant about family, I don't think. And it doesn't have humor or scares in abundance, I wouldn't say. Like, so, when I was reading the reviews... I thought it was like I approached it as more of her another version of her art housiness because I think mm-hmm. that it works better as like an art housey cinematography based like sort of weird Texas Oklahoma type thing 
than sure. it does as anything that all the reviews were telling me it was. So that that was my kind of takeaway from it. But I, I don't know. I might be wrong. I must be wrong. Well, I don't know. I don't think you're necessarily wrong because it is. This isn't really like a mainstream blockbuster kind of movie like this. Even if you're going at it with her own filmography, this isn't Point Break. You know, Point Point Break is that kind of movie. This is not that. This is very much just about mood and atmosphere and uh tangerine you know, dream that's what it's about yeah, yeah. Tangi- that's all you have to say like you know uh a a rollicking good time family action adventure story does not feature a soundtrack by tangerine dream generally um yeah it's i i just love the mood of it and i think it's got two or three scenes in it that are just really great like the uh i i love the bar scene i also really like the shootout at the motel yeah, th- um, th- I think that's my favorite scene. Just the um, yeah. the the lighting of the bullets and the, how it, the bullets, yes. the light sunlight affects the vampires is great. Like it's the yeah. sunlight is obviously more dangerous to them than the bullets that are coming through. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Amanda, what? Yeah. Do, oh, sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll oh. <laughs> start it off with a. I'll throw it back to you, but I'll just say like, so what would you? I think it's interesting that they never call them vampires in this movie. It's one of those movies that apparently you exist in a universe where vampires don't exist, like knowledge of the vampire. Everyone's running around going like, what's happening to Caleb? What's, what's gone wrong with him? Why, what do you find appealing about vampires? I have vampires are probably near the bottom of my monster list, I think. And I, I don't really know why, because I kind of like the idea. And I think that what's at the top of your monster list. Top of question. uh, Aliens, I think. Oh, that makes so much sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think Alien, the movie, is probably the best kind of horror for me sure. in terms of like a monster or something. And then further down, mm-hmm. I think like I'd probably have like werewolves above vampires ever so slightly, but not really, really? not really a mm-hmm. huge amount, but ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. But I think that vampires are better at um, theme and stuff like that because you can take a lot of the different themes out of sucking basically like you can you can use yeah, the metaphor yes. of sucking and turn it into basically everything anything you want but what what do these vampires do for you in this movie because i'm i take the art house approach i can see a lot of different things that i'm reading into this movie but i don't know if it's explicitly about any of those things like i could say it's about uh drug use or falling in with the wrong crowd as a kid or using like love and like the dangers of falling in love with someone that you don't really know and things like that so I don't know if Bigelow is really explicit about anything, and I think that's kind of maybe why she's not one of my favorite filmmakers in terms of storytelling that she does. But what, what do you think? What do you think these vampires are supposed to represent? To what do, what do they do for you? I mean, if we want to get really like highfalutin, and and, and we do, and we do. Um, this is an eighty-eight percent. You got to talk highfalutin <laughs> on an eighty-eight percent. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a graduate student in English, so I am here for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, my impression was always that it's a little bit about white poverty. Um, Interesting. Okay. And, and that's sort of the, the like degeneration of the middle of the country. Like, I actually think Bigelow is way ahead of her time in terms of how pertinent that kind of topic has become now. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's she's pointing at that. She's pointing at, you know, these vampires are not what you think of when you think of vampires. They're not like sexy i mean you could say may is but they're mm-hmm. they're not these like alluring like you know a- attractive figures like mm-hmm. they they live in an rv they're kind of always dirty uh their clothes are falling apart they're kind of living like on the very edge of society at all times 
They seem very resistant to introducing Caleb to their family because they seem to be concerned about resource conservation. And so I think in a lot of ways, like that's the the underlying theme that Bigelow is is gesturing at is is that there is this class of impoverished white people who are, you know, you could say struggling in society, you could say draining society. Um, and once you get down to that level, there's no getting out. So it's a, it's all about how she feels like people are abusing the food stamp system is what you're saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I know what you're saying. It, um, it almost feels like it's a vampire busker movie. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like yeah. I, it's, I feel like if you remade this today, they would have like three dogs with them. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's, it, it, they have that sort of mentality, you know, not to speak ill of the homeless and whatnot that's for our other podcast um <laughs> patrons only yeah but you know it does have that sort of feel to it where they're just their their costume their clothes their housing is made up of whatever they can find mm-hmm. um and yeah it is a it's a very tight knit uh, tight-knit group and what i actually really like you know i, I kind of mentioned a little bit before is each one of them has a different approach to being a vampire yeah and i love the uh the scene where they it's kind of the montage of how each one of them hunts yeah like each of them has their own unique con yeah yeah i thought that was great i you know uh bill paxton being a slimy you know hitchhiker guy is fantastic the kid great in this movie oh he's awesome (laughs) The kid pretending to really, be really, really uh, subtle performance from Bill Paxton. Surprisingly, oh well, I was going to say if if I was going to give the uh, the hack movie review quote, it would be if anything's getting bitten in this, it's the scenery. <laughs> oh, oh no, it stinks. Um, yeah, this movie sucks, <laughs> literally. Um, but yeah, it's they they do. I think what's nice about it is you. And what makes it feel like a really American vampire movie is it it's not making a specific I you know, I understand what you're saying about how it doesn't have like a specific theme to it about like, oh, what what is this supposed to represent? But I kinda like that because I am so sick of vampire movies where it's like they they essentially turn and look in the camera and go, you know, this is really about AIDS. Right. You know, <laughs> or something or something like that. I, I get so sick of that. Um, and what I like about this is, yeah, you kind of there is a bunch of different things that you could take from it. Uh, white poverty, definitely one of them. Drug use, definitely one of them. Um, you know, the relationship thing, definitely one of them. And I think all of those are valid. I think that the um, the one like I, I would kind I would I would probably agree with that. Like it's supposed to be a very non non-thematic in a kind of specific way, I guess would be the sure. way that, that, that seems to be the way that Bigelow approaches a lot of her material, which I think just kind of ends up feeling to me like it ends up with these sort of meandering storylines. Like I really felt it in weight of water. I think that, yes. um, the hurt locker is just a better made movie that similarly kind of meanders its whole time. Do you and, think, do you think hurt locker is as vague as to what it's trying to do? I don't even want to say it like that because it sounds like they're failing at something. No, because um, I think that because there's an ending scene in Hurt Lock with Renner explaining exactly what he is trying true. to get yeah. out of life. And I think that that yeah. is the stamp of – and I don't know if you necessarily need that. If you didn't have that scene, I think it would be just as vague as this one is because mm-hmm. he, he goes through a lot of different points of view and like different storytelling things until he gets to that point. And then they kind of sum it up by him – go or 
even if he doesn't explain to his kid, him going back to Iraq explains what his sure. sort of thing is. Sure. Here, I think the the like the the difference is I don't get any of that. So what I mostly got out of it was the. Are they in Oklahoma? They're in Oklahoma, right? Not Texas. Yeah. Yeah, for at least part of it, I know. Then they they move on to other states. Caleb is from Oklahoma, yeah. I believe. Okay. Yes, I, think I, I they, just they, I think Texas just because of the amount of oil drilling stuff that they yes. show, which is maybe yeah, the was, most uh, hammery, uh, unsubtle yeah, that point. Was a little on the nose, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he's he's feeding on her, and there's just like the yeah. oil drills going in the background or something. But I thought that like. Apparently, I was looking at the commentary. Bigelow liked the location just because of how barren it is, and it's sure it is not a pretty part of the country. Um, no. It's decidedly ugly, and it's decidedly wretched to be living there. I think at that point, uh, or at well, least it's in- also. I mean, it's it's a cent- It's the one of the key places of the Dust Bowl. You know, yeah. It's it's just got that feel. Every time every time they're running through or moving through the area, it's just dust everywhere. It's just been and, yeah. It just dry. feels. Yeah, it feels yeah. dirty. It feels literally sucked dry. It's uh, it's a very unique place to 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 place a a movie like this because usually usually you get a vampire movie and it's like, well, we set it in the city because the city is full of vampires and it's like, yeah, okay, they sure. go to clubs. Yeah, they go to underground. Yeah, clubs. they all they all go to clubs and wear sunglasses. And it's a metaphor. But I, I think that's society. really that's really interesting because to me, what I think the difference here is you guys were talking about the vampires. To me, these vampires are the most rapist of vampires that you see in things because a lot of the vampire mythology is about like the seduction of falling mm-hmm. into the lifestyle. And yeah. Is her name May? May is the only vampire who kind of seduces him. The others, when yeah. they feed, just rape people. Like they just go out and they take what they want. And- I would call that murder more than rape well like, it's rape it, in the sense that they're take they're not seducing their victims they're just true, going in and true. like having yeah. what they want from them so there's there's not that like um pleasant aspect of the vampire lore which is about like the seduction and the eroticism that right, goes along right. with it it's a much dirtier version of that which i think ties into the desperation of the oklahoma texas whatever they are landscape i guess yeah i mean they they each have they each have their own kind they're each kind of a different kind of vampire um but yeah, the only one who has the seductive aspect is definitely May. The rest of them are are pretty brutal about their methods. Yeah, which which is I thought unique because a lot of I think maybe a lot of the reason I don't like vampire stuff is because it's built around that sort of like you you imagine Victorian Europe like frilly collars and stuff like that yeah. like Interview with a Vampire or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is not that. And so I thought that that was interesting. I just didn't think it propelled me through the rest of the movie really. Yeah. Well, and you know what I also liked about it too is the. The scene where uh, May bites Caleb, it's almost like she doesn't really want to do it. And it's not like usually in a, in a you know, kind of going down what you're talking about. Like I was thinking um, because, you know, I can't have a of all of all the podcasts to make a Buffy the Vampire Slayer reference on it. I may as well do it here. Um, <laughs> super I, I was. Yeah, I was thinking kind of about um angel and how they end up showing flashbacks about he how he gets turned into a vampire and it's very much a seductive you know he follows the beautiful woman down a path and you know kind of falls in love with her and then she bites him lots of frilly shirts bite on the neck lots of blood this one it's like she doesn't she just like nips him in the neck it's not like a a very dramatic moment where she's you know the fangs come out and she gets him in the neck and they cut to him and he's like 
you know, the 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 reaction his face is questionable as to whether or not he's enjoying this. Uh, it's because that's the other thing they always do is like as soon as they get bit, it's like the director going, "Okay, now pretend you're having sex, yes. and you love this." It's like, Swoon. yeah. But this one, it's like she leans in and she just like just nicks him enough to start making him bleed, and she's just got a little bit of blood in her mouth, and even then, she just kind of like immediately runs away. Can we talk about how she runs? Yeah, <laughs> she, she, she's sorry. not a good runner. <laughs> her run, her run was just. It's like the arms were kind of out mm-hmm. and propelling, yeah, knocking a things bit of over. Propeller action, yeah. Well, they have we, to be. I mean, they have to be a lot so of dust, though. So, go that? ahead. Well, they have to be careful because they're mostly running over like very irregular ground that they've been tilling or something. Like, they, yes, it's a lot That's of a running in the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a very um, non traditional first bite kind of scene, and. Uh, and also, he he ends up turning into a vampire almost immediately, which is different. Um, I was thinking I guess- it's I, I was thinking it's the uh, since my wife works in a hospital, her, her bite to him is kind of like a needle prick code where you're like, oh yeah. fuck, I stab myself. Like I got to go through all these tests to make sure I'm actually a vampire at this point. Like you, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 not deep enough for where you're like, oh, he's definitely a vampire at this point. You wonder if uh if he could have been lucky and just not gotten the worst of it from from that yeah prick. which is which is what i like about it because it's it's not super aggressive it's not super violent it's like um you know it's it's like just a very quick slash of a knife kind of in it and it and it's just enough to get the job done and it's very very different than the kind of thing you usually see in a vampire movie like this do you want to know why i don't like the uh the bar scene or what, what held it back yes. for me yes I think Bigelow doesn't do a good enough job of explaining whether or not the bar knows what these people are or not. I, I was confused as to whether... Oh, really? Yeah. Like, are, are we to assume that they've never been to that place before? I, yeah, I I think it's just a place that they came across. Because yeah. I, I got the impression that the bartender knew them and what they were up to, and... So I was confused as to whether or not he was kind of in on it and they were a part of it. And it, it took me out of the scene a little bit. I, really? Yeah, okay. I, I don't know why. I think it's just the bartender's reaction. He makes it sound like, oh, Jesus, not these guys again. Like, <laughs> So th- that took me out of it a little bit. But I, I don't really have a problem outside of that. But I just I chalked it up to Bigelow sort of like being relatively new as a director and not really nailing the, the, the point of view, I guess, of that scene. I- yeah, I don't know. I never really read it that way. I don't know. If- yeah, no, I, I I didn't either. I always kind of read the bartender as um sort of resigned, like he's seen all sorts of bullshit. Because I'm guessing it's like, you know, like a roadhouse style mm-hmm. bar, like side of the road truck stop kind of thing. So he probably gets like shitheads coming in all yeah. the time to start trouble. So I I read him as more just like, I've been doing this for so long. I have seen worse than you. Get get the hell out of my yeah. Bar. I think if 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 you were to make a change, I could see going like because I, I kind of agree. I think it's if anything, it's oh he just assumes they're the next group of assholes to come through. Mm. Um, I'm surprised they don't play it up more once they start drinking everybody's blood. Right. Well, that, everyone you know, reacts yeah. to it like it's not. <laughs> yeah. Everyone kind of no one tries to run out when they start like yeah. sucking each other's blood. So it's like, oh, are yeah. these guys just used to vampires feeding around yeah, here. Yeah. No one screams when they slit the waitress's throat right. and start pouring yeah. her blood Drain into, her a, into mug. a mug. Yes. Yeah. I or, think that's oh, what I'm man. getting at. Yeah. My my I think my favorite vampire bite of all time is of of any movie is Bill Paxton drinking that dude's blood and stopping midway through to like puke burp. (laughs) 
He's just like, (laughs) and then he just goes back and finishes. Oh, it's so good. Improv that line about uh, when they don't shave, which is actually I'm glad he did because it's all I could think about. When when it's male-on-male vampire action, I'm always like, oh, I, I, I wonder about the shaving. I believe he also improved finger licking good too. I think I would. I would I, hope if, so. That doesn't yeah. seem like a, that doesn't. Seem like so a, the story that I, I heard about that scene is that apparently he was super sick, like he had the flu or something, and right before they shot it, the whoever was you know doing the uh, the health the nurse or whatever gave him a shot of like vitamin B twelve, and he was like, all of a sudden I just like zipped into action and I just went through it. And then immediately, like, dropped afterwards. Which is kind of perfect, given that character. Like, yeah. that sort of, like, manic, psychotic energy yeah. is, like, yeah. very in line with what you would expect from that character. Yeah, absolutely. Doctor's like, yeah. Bill, you're you're not on cocaine, right? He's like, yeah. uh, no. He's like, all right, I'll give you the B12 I then. Mean, Don't take this if you're fair, on cocaine. To be fair, in the interview, he says vitamin B12. He could be, like, winking at the camera, <laughs> meaning, like, he gave me, you know, it was the speed. same... The same kind of vitamin B12 that they were giving Roger Clemens, you know what I mean? <laughs> and the outs- I mean, after the bar scene, I like the, the shootout scene and stuff like yep. that. I, I think that uh, like the cinematography is really the thing that I will kind of take away from it and the, the soundtrack. Yeah, it I looks, think. looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah, just the... And I like the effect of them catching on fire and things like that. Apparently, that was a real pain in the ass, especially in the last scene where Heck- Homer or whatever is running oh, on yeah, fire. Yeah. And explodes. Can we talk about Homer for a minute? Sure. Homer is such a weird character. Yeah. Because the first scene with him, he goes up to Caleb, grabs him by the dick, and says, my name's Homer, H-O-M-E-R, mispronounce it and you'll be in trouble. (laughs) What is he trying to get? Like, first of all, how else would you pronounce that? Right. Homer? Homer? <laughs> Home. Home. They're, they're, near, they're near Mexico. It might just be dropping the Homer. Uh, yeah. Uh it's just it's just a really all, all the rest of them have like kind of cool laid back intros and then this maybe it's cuz they were trying to go over the top cuz he's a kid or something. No, but the, it's the just concept. a really Yeah. Go ahead. It, yeah, it's just a really strange thing to have somebody do and say. Um and then throughout the rest of the movie, he's got this weird He's just a. I, I think. I think the performance is really good. I think it's a lot of fun, but it is a weird performance. It's a weird character in general because yeah. it, there's this sort of like he, he talks about. I think at one point in the movie he says something like, um, "Like, do you know how it feels to be a big man mm-hmm. in a little body?" Mm-hmm. And he outright says he turned May, right? Which is sort of like, oh yeah, he found a beautiful woman and and was like, all right, you're mine now. You're coming with me. Mm-hmm. But then he gets fixated on Sarah, yeah. on Caleb's little sister, who feels very young oh, yeah. in that movie. Yeah. So it's kind of confusing to me. Like, is this are we, are we supposed to believe that this is an adult man mm. trapped in a child's body? And if so, what does he find appealing about this like nine year old girl? Yeah. yeah, I I was I was thinking about that too, and I was I was thinking that. It's sort of a Frankenstein's bride kind of situation mm. where I assume he's locking in on her because it's like, well, if I can turn her, then she's going to be like me. And eventually, I mean, she's going to get older mentally like I get older mentally, mm. but we're still going to look the same. So it's not going to be weird. It's uh-huh. not going to be like 
hanging out with Jeanette Goldstein where she looks like my mom. <laughs> and it's not going to be like hanging out with May where she looks like she's my sister. Yeah. You know, uh, eventually. An equal. Yeah. Basically, if they can make out and it won't be that weird. It's right. a, um, it'll be, it'll be a little weird, but she'll, they'll both get over it. <laughs> it's an idea that I think the idea of the uh, very trill like existence where it's a mm-hmm. it's a young body that has lived for centuries and therefore is like the wisest. Like I got the impression that Homer is almost the original vampire out of the group who just happened to be the youngest that was taken at that point. Um Sure. Be, like I'm, I'm assuming it's just that because once you get bitten and you live forever, you maintain the same age that you were whenever you became yes, a vampire. Yeah, yeah. So the problem there is that it's a cool concept, but there's no way for young actors like that to look convincing when they're smoking cigarettes and stuff like that. Yes. So yeah. you're always yeah, I was, like, yeah. I was thinking the the other way they could have got because well, because it's a cool concept, but they don't really do anything with it. They just kind of like mention it in passing, and they they play it up for the the end sequence with the with the sister and stuff. But, like, I feel like usually you would have that character essentially be the baby from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, I may look like I'm 12, (laughs) but I'm actually 130. Now, where's my stogie? Like, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't really really give that character any any, any scene time. Because, I mean, you've got Bill Paxton and Lance Henriksen, who are just born, if you give them an inch to eat some scenery, they're going to eat everything. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, and Jeanette Goldstein is great. She doesn't really get a ton to do either. I which wish is she had more to do. Yeah. I, oh, God, I love her. And I, I love her character in it. I think she's awesome. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're designed as the nuclear family of vampires, mm-hmm. which is why there's so many. But I don't think there's enough material for all of them to exist yeah. at that point. Well, it's funny. I, you know, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's but, it. But uh, yeah. it's really interesting because I feel like there's... Okay, I guess I'd put this way. Do you guys think that there is more story there that they could have told? Because this movie is not even, it's 84 minutes. It's not even 90 minutes. And I feel like the characters they have, they have so much potential to get into more of them. But it's like, there's not enough story there to really hold more than 90 minutes of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're coming, especially where you're coming at it, where Caleb's your main character, like the least compelling leading man I have ever seen in my life. Um, (laughs) He was good enough for heroes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, when when you're when you're approaching it, sort of like it it is his story, really. So it's like, how much of Caleb could you have taken? Yeah. Like, could you have taken 30 more minutes of Caleb looking confused? Yeah. Because the main I mean, the story of the movie is watching these vampires do shit essentially yeah and i think they probably push that to the limit of a movie like this where there isn't more story to tap into like if there's a couple other story beats or turns maybe but at what point what's the diminishing return on scenes where we watch vampires do shit i would have i would have liked the movie much more if they had focused on the vampire family um, yeah yeah same well i think they could have but i mean I, i'm given this movie i don't think it would have worked but yeah i think if they had changed the focus a bit definitely yeah. I, I think that's why i'm not crazy about bigelow because I, I think bigelow isn't interested in those kind of things and maybe it feels mm-hmm. more like it's a traditional movie if you go in that direction and you start doing like this more uh character work kind of stuff where you're exploring specifically what these vampire characters are all about she she tends to like more of like a voyeuristic like 
environmental movie almost like she's she's just kind of there as these things are playing out and she's not really interested in what it all means or getting into the specifics of it which is fine and i think that this movie would be totally different if it wasn't that but i would prefer character stuff and in her um yeah her commentary she was talking about apparently the commentary for this movie is terrible uh from what i was saying Mm -hmm. but she does it and the the one thing she talked about the script is that when she's writing she her goal is just to have as little fat as possible on a script. Sure. So yeah. it seems that mm-hmm. her style is to not really get into that kind of stuff. And she just wants these barest of bones to push it through, even if it ends up in an hour and 25 minute long movie. Yeah. You know, I think that's actually really interesting because the last two episodes that we did, we both kind of came away thinking we couldn't really pin down what her thing was because she's not explicitly like a visual director she's not really into characters at that much it's and, not tarantino dialogue or anything yeah, yeah. like it, it, she's not the kind of director where you can watch one of her movies and go oh that's clearly a Catherine bigelow movie but i think you kind of hit it on the head where she has this voyeuristic eye that she's going to let you into a world um that's a little bit off the beaten path or well in this case a lot off the beaten path and just sort of immerse you in it and let you kind of hang out there. And it's not really about story all the time. Yeah, even if you don't um, come in during a particularly interesting time of whatever that universe is that you're entering. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you just kind of drop in randomly and what happens happens in her story. Yeah, because even like, even like Point Break is, is I, I feel like the, the dropping in point, you know, no pun intended, for Point Break <laughs> is uh, surfer culture, right? And yeah, it's kind yeah. of, I mean, we didn't watch it, but if you've seen it, you that's what it's about. It's about Keanu Reeves going undercover as a surfer. And it's who like... Skydives. It's, <laughs> yeah, who also <laughs> skydives. Um, but it's kind of about, I, I can imagine her going like, oh, surfing, that's interesting. I wonder what that's all about. And then, you know, crafting it from that point of view. Um, and I think if you're looking at, this movie compared to Hurt Locker, I think the difference is Hurt Locker is like this if they did focus on the vampires. Because you've got three characters in Hurt Locker who each have a pretty clear arc that are that are um, native to this crazy world that you're being introduced to. Like Hurt Locker doesn't have the character who's just got there you know yeah just got to afghanistan stand in yeah Yeah. who needs to be the one where everyone goes around being well i guess jeremy renner that does that but he's obviously a veteran of of everything but you know there's no character who it's they're walking around going like and this is where all the bad guys come through this is chris he's a demolitions expert you know there's none of that stuff everybody who's there is native to that environment and each one of them has a different story essentially that they're going through whereas this one you're really only watching the story of Caleb and he's not really that interesting. Yeah. So, and the vampires are just kind of like doing their thing. Mm. Yeah. I would say also like kind of going along with that, that um, Bigelow, like I I like Clay, I like your term environment Mm -hmm. because I was trying to think of it as we've been talking that in my opinion, she seems to lean a lot on setting. Yeah. And 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 costuming and sort mm-hmm. of visual cues. Yep. So I li- I like that like environment to sort of encapsulate all of those. Like I think that's kind of the through line, at least in the films of hers that I've seen. And you know the ones that we've watched, Wes, 
the one I well at least I feel anyway the one that failed the most is the one where she get tries to get into plot and tries to get into you know subtlety of character and it just ends up being a a, a mishmash of stuff that doesn't really work. Yeah, I, I would say because she well she has a movie that requires her to get into it, but she is mm-hmm. unable or unwilling to do that to a degree that it would make that plot to make sense. We're talking about way to water. Um, yeah, if you're going to have a introspective character movie about like character emotional turmoil you kind of need to talk to the characters a little bit like have them say things and she doesn't want to do that so that's why her flop was that movie i think but a little bit of an offbeat we're talking about caleb um i wish we could wear cowboy hats up here in in new england (laughs) i I like cowboy hats i like the way you can take them off your head by pinching the uh the top of it and stuff like that I, i wish it was acceptable to wear those but um yeah i don't know I mean, there's always fedoras. You could get into fedoras. Oh, no. It's a little bit a different, complete, right? There's, a, there's, there's something about there's, there's the th- there's the the cowboy thing is like this. Um, when you when you don your hat or whatever, it's like this very old style uh, like American chivalry. But it's also I could stomp a mud hole in your ass at the same yeah. time. Like I'm going to take this off before I get blood <laughs> now, on it. You're you're talking like a traditional cowboy hat, not one of those like shitty Kenny Chesney ones that you can buy at like. <laughs> Foxborough Stadium for $35. I will be Keith's I Love This Bar and Grill. Yes. I want rhinestones yes. on it is what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to be the rhinestone cowboy? <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about the let's talk about the ending. Sure. I don't I don't like the Terminator sequence of the Mack truck getting it's taken over. It's exactly the same. <laughs> it, it's the music. There's a certain point where she's where where he's driving the truck towards Bill Paxton. I swear to God, the music is almost exactly the same as when they do that in the Terminator. It's almost identical. Uh, yeah, Bill and, Paxton screaming. He's like, "I'm going to take my blade hand out and punch through the hood of this truck and yeah. pull out the, the cords." <laughs> yeah, like I'm surprised he didn't climb up and go get out. Um, but so, so he before punches we, it through, he goes, "Have you seen this boy?" Yeah. <laughs> before we. Get into that. That just reminded me. Uh, um, this is an interesting movie casting wise because uh, Catherine Bigelow was James Cameron. It was married to James Cameron. I'm not totally sure if it was before or after this. I think they after got this. married after it this. It was after this. Yeah. Okay. Which actually makes it even weirder because this is like, I and I'm not saying this to try and take away from the movie at all because, you know, obviously I love it, but it's it's weird how much James Cameron is all over this movie. He's in the You've movie. You've got. What he's he's the truck driver, isn't he? Wes, I wish you could have just seen. I don't think face. so. I, let me let me see. Hold on. I, I I thought I read something that he's the truck driver cameo or something. The, uh, the, the one who gets shot in the head. No, I think there's another one. Let me see here. The the black guy. You fin- you finish your thought. I'll I'll see. Okay, so it's I mean they've got Bill Paxton, Lance Henriksen, Jeanette Goldstein, who are all in Aliens. Bill Paxton and Lance Henriksen were both in Terminator. Uh, the cinematographer is the same cinematographer who shot terminator um the guy in the bar who uh bill paxton roughs up and then knocks him back into the pool table is the guy from terminator 2 who tries to put his cigar out on arnold's chest in when he when he comes in naked and he steals his clothes so it's like it's not a coincidence that james cameron's you know fingerprints are all over this in some way shape or form i don't know if that's just Maybe it is a coincidence. I don't know, but I feel like clearly they had some sort of relationship. If apparently she just recognized all these people were great and said, "I'm just going to grab these guys because they are clearly awesome." I don't know, but it's. It, I always found it interesting, and I hope, I hope people don't 
think less of it. I hope they don't think that it's, oh, the only reason it was good or had the stuff is because James Cameron and she had some sort of relationship. Because I think it's I think it's better than that. I think I'm wrong. I don't think he's in it. I must have misread yeah, I don't, something. I don't think that's him. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I... No, I... um. The the only reason I would think anything is because of how similar the Terminator sequences are. It's it's almost like he was talking about like I've got this great idea for what's gonna go on in my next Terminator movie or something yeah. like that. I mean, if at the very least she liked his movies. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, at a certain point she stopped liking his movies, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, Apparently yeah. he left her for Linda Hamilton, which I think is crazy because Catherine Bigelow is gorgeous. Well, it's better than walking in on him and the blue avatar creature, I suppose, or something uh, like yeah, that. Yeah, he doesn't have a great history <laughs> with women, because he then left Linda Hamilton for the woman from Titanic. Not the old woman, but the old woman's granddaughter at the beginning of Titanic. Oh, really? who he is currently married to, I believe. No, we know, we know how, we, how he casts, I suppose, at this point. We haven't done James yeah, Cameron. I we haven't done him yet. That'll um, be interesting, because James Cameron has one of probably the best filmographies I've ever seen. He does. He, doesn't, he hasn't made a ton of movies, but like... Eight out of like six out of eight of them are classics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's talk about the the ending then as it wraps sure. up. Yep. We can talk about the. There's not much to say beyond the truck stuff for that. I don't think um, it's it's, yeah, a, it's it's a weird well, amalgam of Dark Knight and Terminator, <laughs> where Bill Paxton is like hit yeah, me, hit me. I, it's one of those things where like they. Uh, I think the setup for the jackknife thing is pretty good. Like I wasn't expecting that to come back. I don't think. Um, because it just seemed like random dialogue in that scene with the with the bus with the the truck driver, which I think is in a hilarious scene. Because that dude's like just driving, <laughs> having a good time, explaining how trucks work and stuff. And then Caleb is like, like thirteen years, and he's only want to use the inching, thirteen years. Inching his way closer, and looking May like is he's behind him, just like oh, come on, yeah. would you just do it? Looks already. like he's on crack or something, like getting closer and closer, trying to like lick this guy's neck, and the guy's like, hey, man, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I'm just driving a truck. Uh, but then when it comes back, what happens is I don't think is a jackknife, whatever that was. It was no. he pulls the thing, jumps out of the car, and then the whole truck explodes. Yeah, fairly randomly. Yep. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of explosions in the end of this movie for a movie that... Had a couple really solid action sequences, yes, yeah, but not a whole lot of them. Mm-hmm. It, it, I don't know. The ending has always felt like they were like, "Well, shit, we we got we got to <laughs> yeah. end this somehow." Well, yeah, especially because like, <laughs> let's just blow them up. Let's blow them all up. My yeah, favorite's when the the final when the uh, uh, Lance Henriksen is driving the car at them towards mm-hmm. the end, and there he's like trying to get there before the sunlight makes them explode. The, the door on the car falls off for no reason before yeah. the car explodes. I love that. I think that's great. I That doesn't feel like something they did on purpose. That yeah. feels like the car caught fire and the door fell off. Uh, see, that scene's really interesting to me because I think the stuff with Homer is great. The way he jumps out of the car and starts running and you know he catches fire and then he blows up. I think that stuff is, is great. But they then have May on the ground in broad daylight yeah. with like a coat over her head and nothing is happening. Yeah, she smokes a little. A little bit. But the other two are driving in their car that they've like taped up and they're all covered with shit and they still explode. Like it was clearly like we need to get out of this. This is the point where the bad guys have to go. We've got no story left. We got to, we'll, yeah. you know, we can't kill the girl. How are we going to kill the bad guys? Well, they're in the car. Let's blow the car up. You know, it, it, it seems kind of 
it seems like they're playing a little loosey-goosey with their rules. I, I think if you want to reach for an explanation for that, I mm. can I can try to provide one that Ooh, I, please do. I have no idea how legitimate it would be. Mm-hmm. You guys, please call me on my bullshit. Um, but you could argue that it has something to do with how long you've been a vampire. Sure. Like, because she's only been a vampire. She even says, oh, it was four years ago. Yeah. So maybe she's like a quote unquote young vampire Mm -hmm. and therefore not as sensitive to the sun yet. I don't know. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Thank you. When Caleb runs from the hotel to the car, he has a blanket over his head and he catches fire pretty good. Well, I'm sorry to everyone who made Near Dark. I tried. This will be the last time you're on the show. (laughs) They have a... um, Bye, guys. They have a fairly cavalier attitude towards sunrise in general. Like, no one... Like, you think if you were a vampire, you would have your iPhone alarm set for, like, every hour before the sunrise is supposed to come up and you need to get out of there. But they're Mm -hmm. always... um, they're frequently caught by surprise by the sunrise in this movie, as yeah. if like they're, they're totally surprised that the day has come and started over again. Yeah, it's 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 funny at the beginning because uh, when when May goes off with Caleb, they're like, I mean, I guess you could chalk it up to her being she's infatuated. Know, that, of, that, that makes sense. Yeah, to me. yeah, yeah, that one's fine. But it's one of those things where it's like you know four o'clock in the morning and she's like let's drive three states away <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's like i need to get back home it's a 300 mile drive take me home right now i have to get home right now is a uh, a certain young man appeal to him reacting to her at the start where she is like the craziest person you've ever run into in his life and he's like hey baby like you want yeah. i see you're into me but you seem insane as shit but whatever let's like let's hang out oh yeah no he is like the least suave person in the world because when oh, like yeah. when they're driving around and he's like so you got a boyfriend? She's like, no, not real. And he's like, cool. I don't have a girlfriend. And it's like, well, okay. Well, I guess let's make out then. That's the most then, uh, character development that Catherine Bigelow is interested in getting into, I think, right there. So I know it's supposed to be cute and sexy, right? But uh, Amanda, if you were out on a date with someone and they lassoed you, and started pulling them. Pull, would you be creeped out at that, even if like it was kind of a weird, cute thing? I feel like if that was me, as soon as someone throws a lasso on me, I'm like, "This is this is a stop. Yeah. B, take me home." <laughs> yeah, Unless no, I Woman. I yeah. com- I completely agree with that. But the, mm. it's interesting because the moment I thought you were going to bring up was when he stopped. She's like frantic, oh, like, "Get yes. me home! Get me home! I'm my guy! Get me home!" And he stops the truck. Yep. and he smirks at her and goes. Not until you give me a kiss. And then he drops the keys down his shirt. <laughs> that that moment in my head, I was like, if I were a vampire, Fuck yes. I would have murdered him, yeah. taken the keys off of his body, and driven myself home. Yes, like, yeah. That would be the point where she just rips his throat out with yes. her teeth. Yes. No yeah, she, d- she doesn't bite him out of anger, though, does she? Like That's not yeah, the sense that I get. All, like, sexy. Yeah. yeah. Huh. That, that is an interesting... Like that, that's a, yeah. that's a strange beat right there. I guess I don't really have a problem with their relationship because it does. No, it's it, fine. It feels it feels like the um, like whatever beats you need it to to get that yeah. point across. And I I, I don't know. I, I don't really understand her point at the end where she is also turned back into a normal person. I'm not. I don't even know if I have a problem with the blood transfusion thing outside of the fact that. How did his dad completely transfer his blood to the I know. <laughs> yeah. He does it himself. He does it himself. Look, he doesn't even he like He is a farm vet. He's a large animal farm. vet. Yeah, I guess. I I don't know. I he just He gave he gave a shot to a cow and all of a sudden he knows how to do human <laughs> I, I, blood transfusion. But I, I liked when it was over. <laughs> 
it, when it's over and the daughter comes in and the, the mm-hmm. uh, Caleb is laying on the thing, the father gets up and he's like, he, he holds his head like he's got a slight headache after giving all his yeah. blood. He's like, oh, oh, I got to sit down. I, <laughs> I wish, I wish they had a juice box. <laughs> I wish they had had a scene where Caleb sits up and the dad's like, son, you're going to feel a little weird. I did just uh, <laughs> transfuse you with four gallons of cow blood. <laughs> Like that would be more that would that would work better for me as an explanation on <laughs> yeah, how to reverse yeah. vampirism if it was like well if you change your blood with cow blood you're fine. What do you think about the ending before we uh, we get close to wrapping this thing up? I it's, I don't mind the ending, but I'm interested yeah, in what fine. you guys think. Well, I I find it kind of funny because it's one of those endings where it's like after she gets turned back into a human, if the movie doesn't end and keeps keeps going, does she go? Well, okay. I I'll see you later. I guess. Mm. <laughs> like, what's the hell of what's, a time? What's the over under on that relationship? You know. Yeah, yeah. It's but uh, as far as an uh, yeah, I think it works fine. Um, it's the ending that makes. Uh, how would you guys feel if they killed her? If she doesn't transfuse, like maybe he's trying to save her, but then she's like, "These are my people," or something, and she blows up in the sun or something like that. Amanda, after you. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about that because I actually really like her as a character. Sure. Like, I, I think she's a far more interesting character than, say, Caleb. Like, I actually kind of always have wished that she was the main, like, like that it was her getting turned was the movie we were sure. watching. I or, think that would be a more interesting movie. I mean, I think you could go the same way and have her still be the vampire, but her be the main character of the movie, yeah. you know? Yeah, That'd trying to adjust. Interesting, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of anti-killing May mm-hmm. at all, but I mean, it would provide a, a level of closure, like, mm-hmm. like an end, to, a true end to the story. But I don't know. It's just not the sort of ending you're going to get from movies, especially in that time period yeah. when it was made. I um, I think to me it comes down to Bigelow's lack of a direct point, and I think that the the sure. direct okay. point is what see that. is what May needs to know to determine whether or not she dies or not. Like if this is mm. a if this is a drug allegory, I think it's appropriate for Caleb to save her from that like he saves sure. her from the addiction mm. if it's an allegory about only men can save that's women right from she, drug she just needs a strong man to come in and save the day but i think oh i think if the um if it's about Can't quit now you're too in you're in too deep man. if it's about like dangerous love i think it's more profound if he has this horrible event because of this sort of it's that very like uh slashery thing about like don't have unprotected sex kids because mm-hmm. you'll be mm-hmm. killed if they mm-hmm. do it, if they do it that, which is you got into a relationship too quickly, and this is the punishment you meet out, I think not saving her at the end is more appropriate because he doesn't really know her. You know, like it's not right. The the true love angle is kind of hard for me to buy, and so her death in that situation makes more sense. But because I, I don't think Bigelow is interested in being that specific. Her her life ending is not that specific either for me. Well, I guess. Maybe not necessarily killing her, but I'm I'm wondering if maybe they shouldn't have ended up together because part of me feels like even if it is a drug allegory or if it is this sort of um, white poverty kind of thing uh, or, you know, clearly there's that's a family unit that they're trying to establish. The idea that he could save her is a feels like it could be a little insulting. You know what I mean? Where it's mm. like... Whereas if she was, if she 
took more ownership of what she was and all this kind of stuff and and either in that case rejected him being yeah. like this is not for you to decide whether or not I I live or die. I only feel um, that for certain storylines. I think like for drugs I think it's appropriate to need help and an intervention basically. Okay. But sure. for Yeah, okay. I I think the poverty thing is tougher because even though I like Amanda's point about it being about white poverty in the south, he saving her at the end doesn't make sense for me if that's the theme you know what I mean? because yeah. he is her so that seems more condescending than a mutual salvation at the end if if that makes mm. sense yeah no I, I i would agree wes and i this ending has always kind of read to me um as kind of the hollywood ending like we we need yes. the love story like the love story is what's going to sell this movie. So we need a happy Hollywood ending. Talk we need about to keep that them together. more in a second, but yeah. continue. No, it just, and, and I always, I always find myself comparing this to the lost boys just mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like they are so contemporaneous. Mm-hmm. Um, and Do yeah, you I mean, like one more than the other. That's a difficult question for yeah. me because I, I think there's... same year, but very different movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. one took and... all the money, or uh, Lost Boys took all the money too. Oh yeah, this yeah. Thing, yeah. And there's a reason because the Lost Boys is so much fun. Yes, like you watch it and it's fun, and there is that level of like kind of excitement and like, oh my god, what's gonna happen? That I feel like this movie, you're watching a movie about people who are evil and also yeah. very downtrodden yes and it's hard to have that same level of like excitement and energy when you're watching them because of that at yeah. least in my opinion this movie is is fun but not in the same way it's a lot more twisted fun like yeah. lost Bill boys and fun yeah lost boys has you know uh, tim capello greased up playing the saxophone everybody's <laughs> hair is blown out and it's like mtv vampires and it like it's fun in that way this movie is on the surface not a fun movie. It, like the scene at the bar, I think is a ton of fun. But just watching what they're doing compared to like what happens in Lost Boys, these get these people go into this bar, lock the doors, and then systematically, very violently murder a lot of people and very gleefully do it. In the Lost Boys, they they kind of do that a couple times, but it's like they kind of dance around it with the filmmaking and stuff. This one. You watch him dig his hands into the back of a dude's neck, murder him that way, then drink his blood and vomit burp halfway through. (laughs) And then afterwards, he says, finger licking good. And it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's that's a kind of twisted cult movie, horror movie fun. Lost Boys is very much a crowd pleaser kind of horror movie. Yeah, it's a teen movie. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of teen movies... Um, I would like to talk very briefly about how this movie is uh, has apparently they've never really figured out who this movie is for, at least on, especially as far as marketing goes, because the last version of the DVD that was available came out in 2009, right around the time the Twilight films were wrapping up. And if you go online and you look up the uh, cover art for the DVD... It's the one on Rotten Tomatoes right now, actually. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Have you seen it, Amanda? Uh, I don't think so. I'll look it up real quick. Anyway. It's very, very uh, Twilighty. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Uh, they were definitely... They were re-releasing it on Blu-ray, and they were absolutely uh, trying to uh, capitalize on the popularity of uh, Twilight, because you've got... Um, I would... 
Yes. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. He's up I top would, looking look very vampire paleish. They got the action shot of the vampires in the bottom left with their guns over the shoulder. Yeah. And then a yeah. normal looking woman looking up uh sort of lovingly yeah. at his this, face. Yeah. This actually is not accurate to the movie in any way. Oh no. Because it the this cover uh posits that Caleb is the vampire and May is the (laughs) woman being allured by the vampire. You are absolutely right. Like the coloring of their their skin where he looks sort of gray. He's got the yellow eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And then she looks like rosy cheeked and like the sun is on her face. Now compare that if you're you you at home who are I assume Googling this while you're driving your car um, to the (laughs) to the old near dark artwork which is a uh, mid-range close-up of Bill Paxton after he's been hit by the truck. So half <laughs> of his face is like bone excru- it's ex- what's the word I'm looking for? Exposed. Exposed. Bleeding. And he's got light coming through holes in him as though he just got shot up like the hotel room. Yeah, he's horrible burns. Yeah, and disgusting jacket. It's clearly not a, a movie for like teenage girls. Yeah. Uh... I feel like not to generalize. <laughs> well, and also yeah, not, speaking, not speaking on behalf but... of myself, this was a movie for teenage men. Sure, mm-hmm. yes, that's absolutely true. <laughs> but the uh, the the demographic they were going after in re-releasing this movie is not it's not honest. It's yeah. not an honest representation of this movie, and I think that's really a bummer because this movie is really cool. Like this is the kind of cult. This is a perfect kind of cult movie that you kind of almost find by accident. Yeah, and you end up just really being into. You know, and it has that kind of world built into it where I feel like you could make a movie kind of like this now where um, you get really into these characters in this world that they live in. And I'm surprised, like, I'm surprised more people don't cosplay as these characters because mm-hmm. they've got really unique looks to them. And it seems like it, they give you enough of this world of these characters that if if I was watching this when I was like 12 or 13 or something, I would mm-hmm. be totally into it and be like, oh, man, I just wish I knew more about this. I wish there was more to get into. I love this. You know, I, I think it's a I think it's a great cult movie. What's wrong, boy? What's the matter with you? Of course, they just don't like me. I'm kidding. Why not? That's all right. You're pretty strong. Yeah. Stronger than you. Damn. Let's, uh, excuse me, let's wrap it up there, I suppose. Amanda, do you have any final thoughts about this one? Uh... I don't I I don't know. I guess I would just encourage people who are hesitant about it because they don't like vampire movies to give it a shot because yeah. it's very very non-traditional. It is not a Twilight or an Interview with the Vampire and as much as there are even some parallels with The Lost Boys, it it's it's very very unique and I appreciate it for that. It's where Twilight is a vampire movie for like the hot topic crowd. This is a vampire movie for all of the people of the same age who look down on the hot topic crowd, <laughs> you know, like I feel you, like you really see me, Clay. Yeah, well, you know, you're sitting right in front of me, so uh, the receipts, yeah, hot topic receipts, just falling out of my pockets right now. As yeah. I like, <laughs> take your take your black lip gloss back. Well. Hold on, guys, I got to turn this UV light off and get uh, get yeah. this place clean. 
Um, uh, I, w- I would like to say, um, I, I mentioned before that I, this is kind of like the first real American vampire movie. There's another vampire movie that I, that predates it that I think if, if it wasn't for the fact that it worked, it, it has a, a one foot in the old world kind of vampire stuff, not Dracula specifically, but it, it's a big part of it is, um, uh, cultural superstition, uh, people who brought that over from the old world. It's a George Romero movie called Martin, which is absolutely fantastic. I think it's the best movie he's ever made. Oh, wow. And it's, uh, he made it, I think, I think it's 1972. So it's before Dawn of the Dead. It's super low budget. And it's about this kid who goes to live with his um, old world, like he's either Greek or Italian, like right off the boat, Italian grandfather. And uh, he's essentially banished to live with him because his family thinks he's a vampire. And so he huh. shows up, and the, the first thing the grandfather says to him is like, listen, I know what you are. If you murder anybody that I know, <laughs> I'm going to drive a strike. I'm going to drive a stake through your chest. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's, and it's the all, whole about, thing it's is all him, about establishing limits with kids, really. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and the whole thing is about him struggling with this thing where... He is absolutely killing people and absolutely drinking their blood, but whether or not he is actually a vampire is completely up for debate. And it's a uh, it's low budget. It's very much like a family drama. Like a you get a, a good sense of this family unit that's uh, living in uh, Pittsburgh, and uh, it has one of the best endings I think I've ever seen as far as like shock endings go. I'm not going to tell you what happens, but seek it out, watch it. Martin George Romero, great movie. Uh, Amanda, what's your favorite Catherine Bigelow movie? I would have to say this one. Makes yeah, sense. I, I would go with Near Dark. I mean, I, I did rewatch Hurt Locker recently um, so that I could kind of keep up with you guys. And I I liked it less than I remembered, Yeah, which was inter- an interesting uh, realization. So I'm going to stick with Near Dark. Hurt Locker feels a little bit of an era in a way that this one doesn't really at this point. Yeah. Um, it's This is oddly timeless. Yeah, it's pretty timeless. You know, because it's, I mean, it's at the same time, it's very 80s, but it kind of isn't because there's no pop music in it. Um, mm-hmm. The costuming isn't really indicative of an era. It's all very kind of like Americana or whatever you would call a Mad bloody Maxi. leather jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad Maxi. <laughs> So I feel like, yeah, you could kind of, I mean, the cars maybe and the technology are the only thing but that make it feel But even the cars, if, if, if you're looking at a, a an area where there is poverty and there's yeah, not a lot sure. of money, no, 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 people yeah, make absolutely. their cars last for a really long absolutely. time. Yeah, I, I don't I don't watch this movie. This movie doesn't feel dated. I, I don't watch this and make it, and, and it, it doesn't feel dated. To, even the filmmaking style does it, where when we did Hurt Locker, that was like the first question I asked you, I think, Wes, is whether or not you feel like the filmmaking style feels dated. Yep. Yeah, certainly feels of an era. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm still going to stick with Hurt Locker as her best. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. um, I think it's kind of a impressive accomplishment what she did with that movie. Would but, you? Yeah, go ahead. I, well, I I don't think you like this movie enough to really revisit it. But no, probably not. Would you revisit <laughs> Hurt Locker before you revisit this movie? 
Uh, no, I would watch this one before Hurt Locker. I think yeah, I, I don't find her movies. Her movies aren't rewatchable to me. To me, anyway, like they aren't. Mm-hmm. They don't have that. Like, oh, it's on cable, and I'm flicking through the channels. I'll stop and watch this at this point. You don't just want to throw in the Hurt Locker while yeah. you're rocking your child. To sleep. <laughs> like, which, which bombing is this? Which Iraqi yeah. uh, child is going to get blown up in this scene? I, I need to see this. No. Alistair, come in here and watch this <laughs> detonation sequence. Yeah, Let me tell doesn't... you about a great American hero, George W. Bush, Alistair. <laughs> oh, uh, so. Best friends with yeah. Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, yeah, Catherine Bigelow doesn't seem very focused on audience enjoyment. Yeah, like, no, like yeah, she's yeah. not really, she doesn't really give a shit if you are enjoying this movie. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't really always know what she's trying to say, but it it definitely has nothing to do with, like, pleasure and, like, yeah. pleasant yeah. feeling. I can yeah. respect always. that, but it, it certainly won't end up on my personal list of a movie that I want to watch. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm not that far of, a like, a movie critic in the podcast even like it's like i i do as i get older put a lot of stock into how much i would want to watch this again kind of i Mm -hmm. think that's like an important thing to do as a movie but uh i i had i had no problem with this movie i understand why people would like this movie i i it never drew me in a hundred percent would be my final takeaway from near dark i like i like how unique it is and i like the cinematography and the music was really cool uh but it's just there's just something about it, and I think it's more Bigelow style than the movie itself would be my final takeaway from it. So, Catherine sure. Bigelow, I respect her. She's like Primus. I respect her, but I don't want to listen to it in the car. <laughs> <laughs> it, like like Sting, you res- you don't listen to his music, but you respect that he's making it. Yeah. <laughs> Clay, final thoughts, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, I find. I think this has a lot of rewatch value for me because of the atmosphere of it and because the characters are a lot of fun and I think it's got some great This is the kind of movie that I mean I think I've already I think I have done this before. This is a movie where I'd say you let's let's you guys should watch this movie. I think last year when I had people over for Halloween I think we watched Near Dark or possibly the year before that I forget. Um but cuz it's got it's one of those movies where the atmosphere is really cool. And there's like two or three scenes in it where it's like, no, you re- you really should see this scene. And um, yeah, I, Hurt Locker is not something I ever really feel like I need to watch again. You know, it's I was glad we watched it for this. Um, I think it's a, a really well-made movie, but it's not one that I think I'm ever going to come back to unless, you know, for a very specific reason. Guys, thank you very I, for, much. I, again, for, for a first time out, more or less, this movie is is pretty impressive. I think, as far as at least on a technical level, I think it's I think it looks great. Yeah, yeah, definitely, guys. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, patreoncom slash is the way to do that. Otherwise, you can go to social media links all down below: Twitter, Facebook, Discord. There's an Instagram. I got an Instagram. I put pictures of the vampires for you, and you can like them. I think that's it. If you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do it. Otherwise, we'll be back. I think we're going to do the Halloween-themed thing that mm, you're back yes. for, Amanda, right? These two October Woo. movies that we're doing. I'll put up a poll on Patreon about that. You guys can vote for it. That is up to change, I think, but that's the plan, maybe, going forward at this point. So if you're interested in influencing the, uh, the direction that the show takes for Halloween-themed October, you can go to patreon.com slash file. I think that's it. Amanda, thanks very much for coming on. It's been good. It's good. nice to have a third thanks. voice in the room. Well, thank you guys for having me. This was really fun. I look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Clay, anything you want to say before we go? Uh, no. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to the Halloween stuff. And thanks, Amanda, for coming on. And uh, we'll, Wes, we'll have you off and uh, we'll do this ourselves sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> We're ditching you. Oh, I'm being stabbed. I'm having being stabbed in the back like a vampire. <laughs> it's at this bar. a coup. This is it's my a silent coup. This is my own personal bar scene from this movie. I'm just I'm the bartender, and it's unclear Clay as to whether or not I expected digging this. Digging his fingers into your neck. The deepest knife in your back always comes when you're looking directly someone into someone's face. I have not shaved Clay, so enjoy it. <laughs> I did not, this is my self defense. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode, whatever it may be. Until then, see ya.